Hey guys, welcome to the Cool Christian Nerd Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Centeno. On this podcast is where I get to ask questions like the nerd that I can be, looking to learn from the cool Christian nerds I know around me that have something to teach. Now let's dig in. Today we have a special Philly edition. I'm here with Jeffrey Harvey. He's the Senior Vice President at Merrill Lynch. He is a wealth managing advisor, and some of the areas that he would be focusing on are things like wealth management, business succession planning, and corporate retirement plans. Sounds fun. And he also serves on the board at Sunday Breakfast Rescue Mission, as well as volunteers at Phil Abundance. And I have to tell something interesting here in the bio. I mean, you enjoy leading Bible studies, golf running, I get all that stuff, but then there's this playing paddle tennis mm-hmm. that really stood out. Tell me about that as we get going here. Yeah, paddle tennis is a really fun sport. It is, um, it's played outdoors in the wintertime, so it's a racket sport similar to tennis. And it's basically the same as tennis with a couple of key differences. One, the court is about the third the size of a tennis court. Two, it's always doubles. And three, the most interesting part, the the court is wrapped in 12-foot tall chicken wire. Okay. So that when you hit the ball over the net to your opponent's side, if it goes past them and bounces up off the chicken wire, the ball's still in play. That's fun. And it's really more of like a chess match than it is... A tennis match and it's super fun and you get to get outdoors in the wintertime and sweat and peel layers off and it's very much a camaraderie sport because it's always double so there's always groups of guys out there playing I haven't picked up a tennis racket since I started playing paddle tennis about eight years ago because it's just so much more fun and it's growing like crazy is it yeah is it yeah that's fun to see those types of sports and how sports morph and the things that we end up enjoying what's great so today we're going to be exploring um, the thought of what does it look like to do business with a soul? And as we're talking here, I think those are the types of things that will emerge of what that looks like. And so I want to get to know you a little bit more, Jeff. It'd be great for you to take us on a journey to how you came into just the world of business. Mm-hmm. So I grew up uh, in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and, you know, to I would say probably middle class, upper middle class family. And um, you know, everyone in my family, my, my, from the men's side, had been in real estate. And so I had an interest in a very young age in investments, stocks and bonds, even when I was very young, like in high school. Hmm. And um, you know, one of the things that motivated me was the idea, this idea of making money. And frankly, at a young age, before I knew the Lord, was very, very motivated by money. And, and frankly, one of the reasons for that was a lot of my friends and people in my circle had a lot more money than I did. So I was very sort of drawn to this world where I could not only serve people with money, but I could make money myself. So um, I had, you know, I had internships and jobs in the bank world and in the brokerage firm world. In fact, I had two internships in college with Merrill Lynch uh, long before I ever worked for Merrill Lynch. And so I was hired seven days out of college by a guy who I'd known who was at Merrill Lynch. Um, and I, the, the catch was he was in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Mm-hmm. So I moved from Philadelphia suburbs out to Colorado Springs, Colorado, sight unseen, because I was hired by a guy that I knew who I trusted with the company that I wanted to be with, which was Merrill Lynch. 
And so this goes back now almost 26 years ago, and I've worked basically building this business at Merrill Lynch for 26 years now. Wow, I was trying to think of like what age were you when these this epiphany came that I want to do something. Uh, did you even mention that? Was, was it at the age of 15, 16? Yeah, it was young. I was probably like 18, 19, 20. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the opinion was sort of forming in there. I, I had, uh, you know, I had bought a stock with my own money, my own like lawn mowing money, literally. Yeah. And I was very fascinated to see the stock. It was Disney stock, actually. I was wow. fascinated to see Disney stock go up and my lawn mowing money make money. Um, I also, in college, participated in something called the AT&T Investment Challenge, which was this nationwide investment challenge, and they gave you a million uh, hypothetical dollars that you got to invest over the space of, uh, of three months, and I ended up finishing in, like, the top 5% of the country, and I was like, all right, well, maybe so I'm good at this, too. Right. So it just it kind of fueled the fire. Then I had these internships, but it really was young. It was um, 18, 19, 20. Wow. So people... Normally, when when they are like interested in something like this, they normally go the education route. That they pursue that, and I believe you did. I mean, you went to University of Delaware mm-hmm. um, to really begin to get equipped with what you were looking to do in the future. Um, but I find that there are people that distinguish themselves a little bit more of not only going the educational route, but actually look at what it is to have mentors come alongside mm-hmm. them. Um, there's, there's there's something else to that, right? Because there's things you can get in the classroom and there's things that you can get through just those who are really in the field that are looking to get eyeball to eyeball, mm-hmm. heart to heart with you. And um, and so did you have that um, as you were growing in this? Did you have someone to mentor you? And tell us about it if you did. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would probably break it down into two different categories. I definitely had uh, good business mentors at Merrill Lynch. Um, you know, one in particular when I was a young guy in the business, literally within the first 12 months, I was 22. Uh, at the time, he was 40. And we became really, really good friends. And he was my business mentor. And so you know, how do you take a meeting? How do you put a proposal together? How do you do a financial plan? How do you, you know, how do you get husband and wife in the same room to deal with the emotional issues that, that are around money and the whole family dynamics and so on? So so with that, let yeah. me just ask, yeah. were, are they assigned to you at Merrill Lynch? Is it kind of like, hey, you're, you're, as you're a part of this company, we're assigning you a mentor? So was it more by assignment or something you had to seek out? Yeah, great question. So so the company, my company in particular, is known for their advisor training. We have the best advisor training in the industry. So there is an advisor training program. That's great. So day one, you hit the ground, they are training you. And, you know, to your point on college, I could have literally taken four years of college and sort of said it was valueless for mm-hmm. the career path that I was on. Now, it had value in many ways, but from an education standpoint, they weren't training me to be an advisor or to analyze balance sheets or to pick stocks or that kind of stuff. So the, the business training program was Merrill Lynch's business training program, and it was excellent. Separate and apart from that, the mentorship um, happens really organically. It's, it's people that are developing relationships with each other, and it often is that senior-junior relationship. Um, you know, now that I'm one of the senior guys, I've mentored lots of people over the years, including my, you know, now one of my business partners who's a dozen years younger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really that. It's not an assignment. It's a organic relationship Good. that develops. Um, from a spiritual standpoint, I did not grow up in a Christian family and didn't know the Lord until I was 26. And my spiritual mentor, who's been kind of my life and Bible mentor, um, I met him early on in my career. And so, you know, again, sort of separate and apart from my career, 
I had a spiritual mentor as well, who still to this day is a very, very important part of my life. So mm. I've been blessed to have met, you know, a couple of different really key mentors. Did he, is this something that you initiated um, to, uh, with him or is this something he softly initiated to you and you responded? Yeah, yeah, so it's a very funny story. I'll tell you the short version of a long story. I hired an intern uh, at the University of Colorado uh, at Boulder, because again, my career started in Colorado. And I had him cold call all of the commercial property owners in the state of Colorado because we had a really good lending product. So I wanted to reach out to these real estate owners to hopefully lend them money. So he called and called and called and called and called and left all these messages. And one day my phone rings and it's one of these real estate owners. And he says, Jeff, this is Leroy. You left me a message. He said, if you'd like to talk about my business, you'll be in my office in 15 minutes. Here's the address. And I was a young guy and didn't really even have many clients at the time, so I said, fantastic, I'll be there. So I hung up the phone, hopped in my car, drove over, met this guy in his office. I gave him my pitch. Mm-hmm. He says to me, this is one of the worst lending products in the marketplace. You need to stop <laughs> pursuing this because it's a waste of your time. But by the way, what are you doing for lunch? Wow. So he invites me out to lunch. I go to a CBMC outreach event, unbeknownst to me. I wasn't a Christian at the time. I hear a guy get up, give his Christian testimony. And for the first time, I was exposed to CBMC, which ironically, I was involved with for about 20 years later on in my life. Wow. And so this guy, Leroy, and I, as a result of that meeting and that lunch, he and I ended up becoming best friends, and he ended up sort of leading me to the Lord about a year and a half later. So that's the short version anyway. For the people who don't know a CBMC there, it's Christian Businessmen's... Yeah, it's Christian Businessmen's Committee. It's actually, the name has changed over the years, but been around for over 70 years. It's a businessmen's outreach evangelical ministry. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So that's when you made that decision. You you were in this room, and I'm sure it was this. I, I, I can imagine, like, wow, these are all business opportunities because there's a bunch of businessmen yeah. in here, and then God has other things in plan. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, d- I didn't come to the Lord that day, but it was it was sort of like. The seed was planted. Yeah, it was one of the seeds. For the parable of the sower, God was throwing seed that day. That's neat. Yeah. Now. So who are your business role models? I'll tell you for me, this might be very telling, but uh, I like Stan Lee. I, I like um, Walt Disney. Mm-hmm. I love Steve Jobs. These are all people who've passed away, by the way. Mm-hmm. But there, there's something about that what they've done. Um, and I don't know if some people would even think of that in terms of business, but they've actually done something with creativity and done something with um, whether it's, it's technology or whether it's um, entertainment that actually has done a lot to the culture. It's, mm-hmm. they're, they're cultural shapers where a lot of people have successful products and successful businesses. But for me, I'm fascinated at how what they created actually shaped culture in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. So that's me personally. But who would be some of your business role models that as you as you see what they do, it's kind of like really neat. It might not even be in the same field of what you do, but it's still something that you admire or yeah, you yeah. think about. So I would say there, there are a couple. Um, one would be, again, this guy that led me to the Lord. He's an extremely uh, successful real estate guy. Um, and so you know, I've always looked up to him. And the other guy would be a guy by the name of Bob Dahl. Um, Bob yeah. is... Um, very successful investment guy, uh, and he's the chief equity officer at Nuveen and Company right now. He was with BlackRock before that, Merrill Lynch before that. These are three, you know, behemoth names in the in the industry that I'm in. And the reason that I would look up to both of these men is because uh, one, they were excellent at what they did. No question, they were excellent at what they did. So in business, 
as Michael Cardone once said to me, I'll never forget this, Michael Cardone's a friend, long time. Michael said, he said, the reason we want to be the best at what we do is because the winner always gets the microphone. The winner gets the microphone. And when we get the microphone, he says, it's our opportunity to preach Christ to people. That's right. And so it's that concept, it's the reason I look up to my, you know, to Leroy and to Bob Dahl is because these men are excellent at what they do. They're respected by everybody in the business community, secular, in the Christian community as well. But, but the thing is they use their businesses as a platform. And that's right. what they have taught me over the years and what I've certainly come to do with my practice, my business, which is um, you know, we, we strive to be excellent at what we do too. But it's so that I can have a platform, so that I can do Bible studies, and so that I can be bold in preaching Christ, so that I can have time with a successful business to go do other things that might be ministry-related. Related. So my mentors really, I think above all, have taught me that business is a platform to go do lots of other things. That is so good, and I'm so on the same page with that. I see whatever we do in the success, we get the opportunity to point it to the, to the source. Absolutely. Say, here's the source. Here's where the wisdom comes from. Here's where the inspiration comes from. And um, show them that even for what you do, business has a soul. Um, it is just not dollars and cents. It's not just numbers, but there's more to it than that. Mm-hmm. So do you see uh, being a marketplace leader as a calling um, that would be equivalent to somebody being called into something like the pastorate? Oftentimes, that's where we use the word calling whenever we're saying hey i'm called to be like a missionary and so we look at those things as callings from the lord but how do you see that when it comes to what you do yeah that's a it's a challenging question um i would say i have a couple thoughts on it one is you know there's clearly scripture that talks about stay in the place where it is when you came to know the lord and so if you're a business person you came to know the lord while you're in business you know the scripture actually encourages you exhorts you in fact to stay there unless you feel called to go somewhere else you know there was a period of time early in my in my christian life um where i thought wow maybe maybe i should leave this and go do something else in fact i took classes at westminster theological seminary for a couple of years thinking i may in fact leave business and go into full-time ministry and so I wouldn't necessarily say that my job at Merrill Lynch is the same calling as you might have as a pastor of a church because you're called to, a, to, to sort of a different level of almost a fiduciary responsibility to your flock, right? You have a massive um, responsibility to your flock, and I don't have that. But I would say that the Scripture also affirms the idea of God can use you and will use you wherever you are, and when I, had, when I got to the place in my heart and mind where I submitted my, myself to the Lord, I feel like God has very much used me in my place. So I don't know that I would put it in a place that has equality with the pastorate calling, but I definitely believe 100% that God is using me where I am. Yeah, I think it was, I think it was Michael Cardone, I think senior, was he wrestled with the same thing of going into feeling like if he was called to the pastorate mm-hmm. and what that looked like. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes from a heart to really serve and honor God. They, they, they love God, but also they have this, um, this, this business or the thing that they're doing that's been put in their hands. And so I think that's where he actually, the book Business with a Soul came yeah. from, mm-hmm. uh, is this idea that, no, I can do what I do here and use it to incorporate the values of the business. I think Chick-fil-A does some yeah. similar things in terms 
of the values being very much um, equivalent to what we would find in scripture and how those things are transferable to even the business sector in terms of like, you know, there's, there's, there's gains and there's things that come and God blesses those types of, uh, those types of well-run businesses. And so what can, can well-run businesses, integrous business in our local communities, do you see them as bringing positive social transformation as, yeah, what do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll equate it to my world because it's the world I know best. I mean, so in, in my world, financial advisors can take all sorts of different, um, I guess, views of themselves, views of how they serve clients, views of how they, um, uh, you know, are using the money that they make. And so, you know, we are very much about servant leadership. You know, we are servant leaders to our clients. You know, our clients are some of the wealthiest people, not only in this region, but quite literally the entire country. And so we have influence in, to some degree over those people, um, and, and we serve them. The same thing with the people that work on my team. I don't view myself as sort of the CEO of my business where everybody works under me. We're all working together on the same team. We're partners that serve different roles. So I very much try and, and, and follow the servant leadership model that Jesus taught us to follow. And then there's no question that the influence that this group of people that I get to interact with, those people are in and around Philadelphia. So I'm having biblical influence on them and, and with you know hopefully with the Lord's help, they're gonna go have biblical influence on those around them. Um, you know, we're big on volunteering, we're big on giving money back into the community, and so absolutely the answer to your question is yes. I mean, I, I believe that what we're doing is having a positive impact. How about for, put it a different way too, just thinking about when businesses are not run well and how that can uh, contributes to maybe uh, the social breakdown of certain things. Um, can you think of what that looks like or describe why that's the case where um, businesses that don't have integrity, the businesses that are not thinking about the community, um, yeah, how that can actually have a negative effect on just the communities around them or even beyond them. Yeah. Have you seen that? What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, you know, my mind goes to, again, we've talked about Cardone a couple of times, but my mind goes to them and, and, and the impact that they had in their business and how it absolutely went out into the community was just positive everywhere. And there's no question that in my belief system, every, every organization looks like their leader every organization, whether it's a company with 100,000 employees or a company with five employees, every organization looks like their leader. So if you have a leader that is looking to Christ as their moral leader, and they're trying to lead from the top down in that way, they're going to have the positive impact. You know, on the negative side, I can't think of any examples where I would say, hey, this company did this, but, um, you know, you can see the happiness that people have. You can see whether people want to be in their workplace or they don't want to be in their workplace. We hired somebody, in fact, just this week, and um, I was surprised to know that she wanted to work for us, and her comment was, well, everybody that knows you would want to work for you. You have that kind of reputation. And the inference was there are many other people that do what we do who she knows many of them. She wouldn't have wanted to work for them. So, you know, again, the, the implication is that that leaders that aren't doing it the way that the Lord might want them to do it are having a negative impact not only on those in their uh, in their organization but it goes out in terms of their reputation out into the marketplace. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I, I, I would think too, even as simple as employees coming in and what, that you're not just giving them a task to do and you're not just giving them a paycheck to do it, but maybe teaching them some of the other soft skills that they not, might not be coming in with, where it's just not, I'm here to collect the paycheck, but there's some things that I'm learning within this business that's transferable to life. Even that benefits yeah, communities. Absolutely. I remember when my daughter came back from working for Chick-fil-A and how she would, I would ask her to do something and she would say, my pleasure. Yeah. I'm like, wow, that, that language <laughs> is something that she learned there and understood the nuance of even yeah. that language, but how it serves well as a, what a great way to respond to something, right? Yeah. Not like, oh, just come around and I'll get this for you. It's more like my pleasure. Um, what that does to the psyche, what mm. that does to the heart, what that says about that person. Um, I think those are some of the testimonies of well-run businesses that are uh, it, training up their workers, not to just to receive a paycheck, not yeah. just to do a task, yeah. but actually to have a certain life skill that actually brings positivity and um, just helps people to uh, yeah, think differently and communicate differently. Yeah. There's a way that that really brings, I think, in small ways, social transformation. Yeah, love it. That's a great example. Yeah. So um, while making a profit is, is usually the bottom line of most businesses, um, can that be a way of businesses actually losing their soul as a result of just going after profit? Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, no question. I mean, again, I'll talk for, in the first person about how we operate. Um, we operate from the perspective of we do the work that's necessary for the families that we serve. We make the recommendations that are appropriate for those families. And whatever we get paid for doing those things is what we get paid for doing those things. So it, it's, a, it's a think about yourself last approach. Um, you know, we, we certainly know people in our industry who are thinking about, you know, how do I get paid the most? And the recommendations flow down from there in every industry in the world that that dynamic exists so we think about ourselves last you know and I would say the second part to the answer to the question is um, you know the business community can tend to be vilified in many ways mm -hmm. even in the church the business community can tend to be vilified and there's no question no question in my mind that God uses the business community in a positive way, I mean, right? Without 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 business people having money to give back to the church and back to the nonprofits and back into their communities, God, God in God's in God's economy, money needs to happen, and that's coming in many in many instances from the business community. So you can be a business leader with honesty and integrity, and use the profits that God gave you to go do things that God has called you to do to be part of that other ministry community, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Right. And and I would think for what they do as a business that they think in terms of, you know, bottom lines, but what does generosity look like? Mm. And how generosity might not be in like good initially with, for what they think of the bottom line, but how it actually keeps their soul um, connected to, you know, the hearts, the lives, uh, the things that are happening around them and is is that one of the ways that businesses can keep their soul if you will by practicing um, generosity like some of the things that you mentioned there yeah yeah a hundred percent I mean so our team practices a couple things one we do um, team volunteer day four times a year so we're going out into the community as a team like everybody goes out so it's a sort of a big deal because we're kind of leaving our business behind four right. days a year now we have coverage so it's not as if nobody's answering the phones 
but there's some non-believers on my team, people who don't know the Lord as their savior. So, so I, as a leader of this team, am taking them out into the community and, and telling them why we're doing it. We're doing it because we're part of this community and we need to be servant leaders into our community. So I'm modeling that for them. So hopefully it's having a positive impact on them as well as the community around us. It also helps all of us to understand that we are called to a different place. We're not supposed to be like everybody else. We're supposed to be different from the world. Um, you know, my main business partner and I also talk about how we give money away. Um, you know, not not to shower praise upon ourselves, but again to 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 help people understand that the profits that we generate are going out to serve Sunday Breakfast Rescue Mission. They're going out to give money to to fill abundance, and we're giving money to Cradles for Crowns out in Conshohocken and those kind of organizations. And we wouldn't be able to do that apart from the work that we do and the money that God gives us through this business. Yeah, that's neat. So, what what are things that uh, make it attractive for businesses to work with churches or faith-based organizations. You mentioned a couple of the ones that you are working with, with the Sunday um, Breakfast Rescue Mission and, mm-hmm. and others. So there's a reason maybe that you were actually attracted to saying, well, let's explore what this would look like to kind of partner with them and to help them. Um, I, I don't know if you could speak for all businesses, but there was definitely some things that were key factors in you um, and others getting involved with those types of things. How would you describe that? What does that look like for them to say, hey, this, these are churches or nonprofit organizations, faith-based organizations? Because there's some people that are listening that would come from more of that sector. Um, what, what stands out to say, here are things that we're willing to explore and partner with um, from our business standpoint, it kind of makes sense or it's attractive to us. Yeah. Um, you know, it makes me think of, of just the, the scripture teaching on the body of Christ, right? There are many parts of the body of Christ and, and you know, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the foot cannot say to the mouth, I don't need you, for example. And, and so it makes me think of, you know, you've got the church community and you've got the nonprofit community and maybe the nonprofit Christian community. You've got the business community and we all need each other. Mm-hmm. Right, we are yeah. all parts of the body of Christ. So your question is, you know, can it be attractive, and should we be working together? The answer is, of course. Mm-hmm. We actually can't operate properly in society unless the body of Christ, which is in all parts of these different pieces of society, we need to work together. So is it attractive for a for-profit business like mine to partner with a church like yours? Absolutely. I'm blessed by this conversation this morning, and I hope you will be as well. Right. And yeah. when, when my team, who's a for-profit business team, goes out and serves at Sunday B or at Phil Abundance, it's a blessing to us to be able to serve, and we hope it's a blessing to them because we know that they need people to come in and do the work of packaging up boxes that go out to feed people in Philadelphia who need food. Mm-hmm. So we're all part of the body. We're all part of this community, and it's it's a necessity that we're actually doing these things and working together in Absolutely. my view. Awesome. Now, um, what, what do you say, uh, how would you recommend for people that are out there listening, recommended ongoing education for building their business IQ? Um, are there things that, that you listen to or you look to? So we have mentors and people like that, but there might be other things that just stimulate or keep us on the cutting edge of our business IQ, um, TV shows, is there, are there books, podcasts, whatever that might be, what would you recommend? Yeah, so I've been with the company for 25 years and I will tell you that the business has evolved a mm-hmm. lot over the last 25 years yeah. and it's ever, ever changing. So one of the principles that we use on my team is 
we are constantly improving. And that goes from me as the leader of this team all the way down to the newest person on the team. We talk about constantly improving. And then we put teeth on that by saying at the beginning of the year, we have a big kickoff meeting in January. Okay, what is our personal, excuse me, what is our personal improvement plan? Each and every one of us. And so there are always opportunities to go get additional designations. There are always opportunities to read books that you think might be appropriate. There are always opportunities to learn about a new service or advice model that we don't employ currently. So, I mean, I think the answer to your question really is it's never ending. There's Mm -hmm. always places you can go to look for leadership. And the concept of, hey, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm going to be complacent. If you're complacent, you're going to die. Right. And that's in the ministry of your church, and it's, it's, in, it's in my for-profit business. That principle applies everywhere. So I think really in every walk of life, we need to be pushing ourselves. We need to be constantly growing and learning, and the resources are endless. With I mean, go to Google. You can find anything you want in 30 seconds or less. Right. I, you know, for me, I, I, I read all different types of literature and books. I enjoy in my library, the section for um, leadership is, is pretty vast. Mm. Just been collecting things throughout the year. Really enjoy to hear from leaders. So I, I find that when I'm talking to people, I'm able to kind of gauge this would be a great book for you because this is where you are in terms of increasing your capacity or this mm. is where you're um, kind of uh, some of the things I'm hearing you wrestle with or think through. This would give you language or principles or thoughts mm. that would really help you advance. So it's neat that you just open up uh, to people and let them know there's, get that growth plan going on. You you allow them to just explore what that would look like and, and you'll probably do some like little follow-ups to make sure people are doing those things. Yes. So you give them a little bit of autonomy when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. For you, um, what are some of those um, classic materials or conferences or anything that you would say, hey, if you're maybe just getting started on this, or maybe you can recommend more an advanced um, book or, or material on on business development or understanding. What would you say for your, um, yeah. yeah? What would you say to people? So I'm a I'm a I'm an avid reader as well uh, as are you. So my library is in fact I'm trying to figure out what to do with some of the books I have because there's a lot. But um, you know some of the books that have really guided me um, would be you know, Good to Great. Yes, Good Jim to Great. Collins. You know Jim Collins, clearly great book. I've read that a number of times. Um, you know, the treasure principle is another one. The treasure principle is is a biblical look at money and why God gives it to us and the blessing and the curse that comes along. I mean, you think about, you know, Jesus told 40 parables. Right. And 19 of his 40 parables deal with money and possessions more than any other subject by far. So money is very important to God, right. and I'm in the money business. So, you know, I refer back to that book. And again, my main partner is a believer, and we not only do Bible study together, but we try and lead our business from a Christian perspective. So the treasure principle is a really good one. Um, another one I think of is Raving Fans. Hmm. You know, Raving Fans is a book that basically deals with the concept of, look, any business can please their clients, but how do you create an, an experience for the people that you serve where they want to go tell people about you and be your raving fan? And so again, we talk about that. Everyone on my team has read that book and we think and act in a way that we're trying to create raving fans. We don't want to be like everybody else. Right. We want to be above everybody else. And then I would say one more thing. I'm in the middle of um, uh, the Bonhoeffer book by Eric Metaxas right now, hmm. and it is absolutely fabulous. Not a business book per se, right. but uh, you know Dietrich Bonhoeffer you know, laid down his life really 
to follow the principles of, of what Christ taught him in one of the most difficult environments ever, which of course was the Hitler regime back in Germany. Wow. So uh, I would highly recommend Metaxas. Anything by Metaxas, candidly, is pretty tremendous. This is, I'm so glad I asked for that material because then you find out, because we read so many books, right? But the ones that really stand out really speak to mm -hmm. the things that um, have been part of our progress or development, helped shape some of the culture and the teams that we work with. Mm -hmm. So it's really neat. I, I don't think I've heard of out of those four, uh, two of those two of those materials. So I, I want to definitely look into that. Mm -hmm. So this has been great. I just want to ask one last question. We are here and I wanted this conversation to, I've been specifically doing this series and just talking to people from Philadelphia, from different sectors of society that are helping, whether it's on the educational side of things and, and, and for you on the business side. Um, but being that you're in Philly and uh, some people might know of things in Philly, but some people might be listening that are not um, really familiar with some of the stuff us insiders really find special about our mm. city. And so is there anything that you would say that you say, man, this is really something special that is happening in Philly. You should check it out or you should just know about it. What comes to your mind? You know, I thought about this question a few times preparing for this, and I hope you don't mind the answer. The sports teams in Philly yes. right now are yes. really fun. You're I right. mean, really fun. And I look forward like next year, possibly the following year, it would be complete within the realm of possibility that we're going to win three out of four major championships in the next sort of couple of couple three seasons. Hey, so yeah, I believe it. Maybe that one was too easy, but you know, <laughs> nope. I, I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a sports fan. I'm not a raving sports fan, but I'm always I'm always sort of know what's going on, so I can be conversational. It's sort of a fun, you know, thing to to kick around at the office with friends and that kind of thing. But I'll tell you what, the Eagles look really good. The right. Sixers look really good. The Phillies are clearly the hottest team in baseball at the moment. The Flyers have some work to do, but right. uh, it, it's fun to be a Philly sports fan right now, and it hasn't been for a while. <laughs> You're right. Uh, we, we just think about how we've suffered throughout the years, yeah. and, and we are a sports city. We're a big football city and, mm -hmm. and all those things. And, and, and just you can, you can get a different air in the in the culture and in the city around us as a result of just yeah. like hey what do you want to do you Phillies that'll be a great time what do you want to do you know you want to go to a, a Sixers game and and anticipating the Eagle season so there's a lot to be excited and optimistic about mm -hmm. for the future and yeah. that it does something just like the winning of the Super Bowl did something for us as a city yeah. it's almost like that chip on our shoulder that that burden of you know uh, of just not having a championship in, in the NFL. Uh, yeah, so you're right. Well, nobody else mentioned it. You're the first. <laughs> okay, so good. So <laughs> really appreciate it. Again, appreciate you being here and sharing some of your thoughts. I, this has been really rich. Well, thanks for joining us. And that's our time for this week's podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Cool Christian Nerd Podcast where you can get your digital discipleship fix. Till next time.